Hey guys, Dr. Childs here. Today we're gonna to be talking about 10 thyroid lab tests that every thyroid patient should be aware of. I don't care what thyroid condition that you have or what thyroid disease that you have, these are lab tests that you need to be aware of and things that you can potentially order which will help you understand what is happening with your thyroid gland. Now, why do we care about this? Because most doctors are only ordering one, maybe two of these lab tests. They always get the TSH, which we'll be talking about, and sometimes they get the free T4. But there are so many other tests available that thyroid patients need to be aware of, and these lab tests can help shed light onto things like your thyroid conversion status, how well your thyroid gland is functioning, whether or not your brain or you have a, is functioning correctly or if you have a pituitary problem, and so on. So these lab tests provide a ton of additional information beyond the standard lab tests that many thyroid patients are receiving when they go to their doctor's visit. And as you get these lab tests, you can get more information which will help direct your treatment and will help you feel better. So that's why these things are important. So let's talk about these 10. I'll be going over these and kind of explaining what they mean uh, for you as a thyroid patient so you have a good understanding of them. So number one, we have TSH. This stands for thyroid stimulating hormone. And in order to understand what the TSH is, I sort of just have to explain some basic thyroid physiology to you. It's not gonna be complex, but it is something you need to understand. So when it comes to the, the production and the management of thyroid hormone in the body, there is a loop or a system that exists. And this loop starts in the brain. It actually starts with the hypothalamus, goes to the pituitary gland, goes to the thyroid gland, and then feeds back around. So it's this one continuous loop. And the body is sort of constantly fine tuning and adjusting based off the input that it gets. Now this assumes that the, the body is working in a healthy way, right? Because if it's, in, if it's unhealthy, or if there's a problem or a dysfunction, then this system sort of breaks down. And that's why we check these, these, these various type of tests because we can figure out where is the breakdown? What is the problem? Where did it occur? Most doctors check only the TSH, which stands for thyroid stimulating hormone, and that comes from the pituitary gland. But that's not where everything starts. It first starts in the, hy the hypothalamus, so it goes TRH, then triggers the pituitary to produce TSH, and TSH then produces, then stimulates the thyroid gland to produce T4 and T3 hormone, and then that feeds back, feeds back around. So the idea behind che checking TSH is you, you are essentially getting a, a fairly decent marker of what's happening to your free thyroid hormone levels. So your doctor then says, okay, your TSH is either high or low, and then can determine what's happening with thyroid production based off of that. Now that is that works for that works most of the time, but it, there are a lot of inconsistencies and problems with the TSH, and I've gone into those um, in other videos, so I won't say that now. I will say that it is an important lab test, but it should never be used by itself because it isn't actually checking free thyroid hormone concentrations, which we're going to be talking about next. So we have number two and number three, which are free T3 and free T4. Now, before I explain these, let me just explain something um, uh, more generally here. When we are looking at hormones inside of the body, what do you think intuitively would be the best way to check these hormones? Do you think it makes sense to check for an indirect marker of these, these measurements, or should we actually check the hormone itself to see how much is floating around in the blood? Well, when it comes to the thyroid, we don't actually check the free hormone, but we do in other cases. We do in cortisol. Uh, doctors will check your cortisol level. We do in uh, hormones such as uh, testosterone, estrogen, progesterone. We check all those things. But for some reason, doctors, when it comes to the thyroid, they look at the TSH. They don't look at the free thyroid hormone levels. So you will probably counterintuitively have to request that you get the free T3 and free T4 levels. And these represent the active hormones produced by the thyroid gland. And you can look at them. You can look at them in your blood and see how much free T3 is there and how much free T4 is there. Free T4 is probably the most important between these two because it is the most biologically active thyroid hormone. Free T3 is hundreds of times more biologically active than free T4. So it's more important when it comes to how well your thyroid is functioning compared to free T4, but you still wanna get both. And that has to do with how the body is managing the uh, conversion of T4 into T3, because it has a couple, of a couple of options. And we'll talk about that when we get to reverse T3. But as a thyroid patient, you need to understand that you can actually look at 
the free and available, not bound to protein, amount, the number, the measurement of free T3 thyroid hormone and free T4, free T4 thyroid hormone, and you can measure that in the blood, and you should, right? It should go without saying, but you definitely should. And you can cross-reference this with your TSH to get a much better picture of what is happening with your thyroid gland. Okay, so that was number two and number three. Number four, we have total T3. Now, total T3 sounds similar to free T3, but they are different. So when it comes to hormones in the body, your hormones can float in the body either bound uh, to a protein, which is just a carrier molecule, because it just stabilizes, it is, stabilizes the, the hormone inside of the blood and it moves it to one point or the other. But when it is bound to a protein, it's not active. So that's why there's a differentiation between free T3 and total T3. Free T3 includes only those T3 molecules or, or compounds that are floating around in the body that are available to be used by the body. They're not bound to anything. They're not stuck to a protein. They're not stuck, and, and the, but your body can actually use them. Total, total T3 combines those, the total amount of T3, both the free and the bound portion of T3, and it gives you a better idea of what that total level of T3 is inside of your body. And it provides an excellent um, data point for you as a thyroid patient. In fact, I think free T3 and total T3 together provide a lot of additional information just beyond T4 and the TSH. So if you are a thyroid patient, you do want to get the total T3, and this is especially helpful if you are using T3 thyroid medications, such as cytomel, lyothyronine, or natural desiccated thyroid. Number five, we have reverse T3. So I mentioned before the thyroid conversion process. This is the process by which your body takes T4 and turns it into T3. Now, most people know that part, but what they don't know is that the body also has the option of taking T4 and turning it into reverse T3. And reverse T3 can block the effects of free T3. So if you are somebody who has a conversion problem, right? You'll see a lot of people, if you read my comments or if you go on my blog, you'll see a lot of people, they'll say, hey, I have a thyroid conversion problem. When they say that, what they really mean is that they have high reverse T3. What they mean is that their body is taking the T4 and it's not activating it. It is not turning that T4 into T3. Instead, it is turning T4 into reverse T3. Now, the problem with this and the reason why a lot of doctors don't check for it um, is because they don't believe that it has a lot of clinical utility. Now, I disagree with that for a lot of reasons. I won't get into those right now. But what this, by checking your reverse T3, you can get a pretty good idea when you look at T4 levels, when you look at free T3 levels, and you look at reverse T3 levels. You can, you can look at that information and determine how well is your body taking that thyroid hormone and activating it. Or is it not? Because if it isn't and your body is producing more reverse T3, that reverse T3 can block the effects of the free T3. So it kind of creates a confusing picture for patients and especially doctors because you can have really high reverse T3 but have other normal labs. But if that's the case, you're still going to feel poorly, right? Which is why a lot of people will say, hey, I, I feel so bad. I don't know why my doctor said my lab tests are normal. Well, the reason is they didn't look deep enough. They didn't get the rest of these lab tests. They didn't get the reverse T3. They didn't get the free T3. They didn't get the total T3. If they did, they would see that there are abnormalities in these levels and it would help explain the clinical picture of the patient, which is very important. So if you're one of those people who is, is it feels like the doctor's telling you everything is normal when it's not, look at all these tests. Make sure that your doctor got these tests. Go back to your labs, look and see if they were ordered. Chances are very, very, very high that they didn't. And so very well, there very well could be a problem. It just wasn't identified because you didn't dig deep, deep enough into it. That was number five. Number six, we have something called sex hormone binding globulin, which is abbreviated SHBG for short. Now, I'm just going to refer to it as SHBG because that's a lot faster and a lot easier. Now, this is an interesting protein and it is created in the liver. It is not a direct way to check thyroid function. Instead, it is an indirect way to do it, but it has a lot of value. And that is because only thyroid hormone, well, there's two, two reasons SHBG can be elevated inside of the body. And that has to do with estrogen or thyroid hormone. So if you are taking thyroid medication 
and you don't see an increase in SHBG, you can make the inference that you're not probably, or you're probably not on the right type of medication or your dose is too low. And that's really where SHBG shines as a marker of thyroid function. But it cannot be used in every case and it should not be used on its own because it can also be influenced by estrogen levels. So if you're a woman, let's say, and you're taking um, uh, birth control pills or something similar to that, or even medication or hormones for menopause, then your SHBG is not going to be very accurate. But in the case that estrogen is constant and you're taking thyroid medication, then you should see a rise in SHBG. Now, I think it's a really good uh, marker to get in the beginning. And then what you can do is you can look at that SHBG before you start thyroid medication, and then you can look at it afterwards. And you can see, did it go up? And if it didn't, then you can change your medications around, change your doses around, and so on. And also, by the way, you might see that your SHBG goes way too high, in which case you can, you can use that as a marker to determine that your dose might be too high. So it has, a lot of bit of, it has a lot of value, but it is an indirect measurement. It's not a direct measurement. So just keep that in mind when you look at it. The next three we're gonna be talking about, so seven, eight, and nine, they're all antibodies, okay? So we have thyroglobulin antibody, we have thyroid peroxidase antibody, and we have thyroid stimulating immunoglobulins. So these are really important because the number one causes of hypothyroidism and the number one cause of hyperthyroidism, both of these conditions are caused by autoimmune diseases. In which, and if you know, I'm sure you probably know this, but an autoimmune disease is when your body attacks itself. That's auto and immune. The, the auto um, uh, means yourself and the immune is your immune system. So you're attacking your own self. And these can cause a lot of thyroid problems because they are the number one cause of hypothyroidism in Hashimoto's and the number one cause of hyperthyroidism in Graves' disease. So you must check for these antibodies. Now, I will tell you flat out that your doctor will probably not be checking for these. It's more likely that they'll check if you have hyperthyroidism. It's less likely if you have hypothyroidism. And the reason is simple. Doctors do not believe that ordering these lab tests will change the course of your treatment. They do not believe that there is any well, and it is true that there's really no medical treatment, but they don't believe that there's really any treatment for autoimmune diseases. Therefore, they don't care if they exist. Now, that is completely false. That premise is completely false, and I've debunked it, and there are plenty of things that you can do, including dietary changes, using the supplements, um, even medications can potentially help, and so on. But that is the mindset of your doctor. I'm putting you in the mindset of your doctor, and this is the reason why they will not be ordering these lab tests. So if you have a confusing picture, and I recommend just getting, you don't necessarily always have to get thyroid-simulating immunoglobulins because those are associated with hyperthyroidism. But if you have hypothyroidism of unknown cause, definitely get those antibodies because it will paint a more clear picture. And by the way, Here's another example of why the TSH isn't always accurate. You can have elevated um, thyroid peroxidase antibodies or, or thyroglobulin antibodies, but have a completely normal TSH and be in the early stages of Hashimoto's. But if you only check the TSH and you have symptoms and your doctor says, hey, you're fine, but they didn't dig deep enough to order your thyroid antibodies, it'll look like you're completely normal, but the, the picture is right there. You're just in early stage Hashimoto's and could be treated had your doctor ordered these tests. So it's really important for you to get all of these because they paint a more clear picture. That was number seven, eight, and nine. Number 10, this one isn't always required, but I do want to include it here for completeness, and that is a thyroid ultrasound. So the thyroid ultrasound is great because it's cheap. Um, it, it doesn't expose you to radiation. It's not painful. All they're doing is sticking that ultrasound, ultrasound wand on the, the top of your skin and looking at the size of your thyroid gland. They're checking for nodules. They're looking to see if it looks inflamed and so on. It gives you a lot of information about the thyroid gland itself. And this is important because it's not really easy to feel that thyroid gland to see if, if it's big or not. It's obvious if it's big or if there's a nodule, but sometimes those nodules can hide, beh hide behind the thyroid gland so you can't touch it, right? Because it's a three-dimensional object and only the, the uh, anterior surface is palpable to the skin so you can touch through it. But, the, but you can hide nodules on the back side of it and you wouldn't be able to see those unless you got that ultrasound. So the ultrasound is very helpful for assessing the size, the volume, uh, whether there's inflammation or not, and whether or not you have nodules or suspicion looking bumps or things like that. 
So an ultrasound is still effective and it is still a lab test that you can use. I do like to get ultrasounds on thyroid patients, not every single one though, because for instance, if you start with the, the other nine that I mentioned before and you start feeling better, then you don't necessarily need to go to that ultrasound. And I will tell you that getting the ultrasound can sometimes uncover things that may only cause more problems down the road and not in a good way. So what I mean is you might find a nodule that's completely benign, in which case you get a biopsy, in which case it comes back as inconsistent, in which case your doctor may recommend thyroid removal, in which case now you don't have a thyroid when you didn't really need it because then the biopsy shows that it wasn't cancer at all and now you don't have a thyroid gland and then you're at a big problem. So you kind of have to weigh uh, whether or not you want to get that ultrasound and whether or not it'll be beneficial in your case. And I don't recommend it just universally, but I did want to include it here. And lastly, this is kind of the bonus section here, but whenever we're talking about thyroid lab tests, you must take into account your clinical picture. And what that means is how you are feeling. Now, if I were a healthy person and I was going in for a regular checkup and you said, I want to check all these tests for my thyroid, I would not recommend doing that because these lab tests are better for people who have at least the symptoms of hypothyroidism or a high suspicion that they have some sort of thyroid problem. By the way, hyperthyroidism, I shouldn't have said hypothyroidism. It's good for any thyroid dysfunction related to the hormones. But if you were a healthy individual and you went in and you got all these lab tests, you would probably not know what to do with all that information. So reserve these lab tests if you have a known or highly suspicious, uh, or you're highly suspicious of having some sort of thyroid dysfunction related to your thyroid hormones, okay? But they must be correlated with your symptoms because if you, if you are having symptoms, then that means a lot more if you have an abnormal lab test than if you just went in and you were completely healthy and you had, a, had an abnormal lab test. You wouldn't know what to do with it. So these, I just wanna put that out there for context that only be getting these lab tests if you are symptomatic and always put it together with your picture. In other words, sometimes what you can have is you can have lab tests that look like you're hyperthyroid, but you're completely normal, right? There, there can be a discordance between how you are feeling and what your labs show. And you need to take those into account as you make decisions. Sometimes it's the case that the labs are more accurate. Sometimes it's the case that your clinical picture is more accurate, but they always need to be combined together. So these are the top 10, maybe 11 if you include clinical symptoms, but they should, or clinical presentation, but they should always be, this is always something you should be thinking about as a thyroid patient. These are the thyroid lab tests that I would recommend that thyroid patients get. Now, if you have any questions about these, there are actually some additional ones, but I, these are probably um, the ones that are most commonly recommended for thyroid patients. But if you have questions about these, leave them in the comments below and I'll do my best to answer those. If you haven't already, make sure that you download my free thyroid PDF resources. I have tons of information all designed to help thyroid patients like you feel better. So if you enjoyed this information, I think you'll really like that as well. So that's all I have for you guys. And otherwise, I will see you in the next one.